I'm Carlo, one of the pastors at Hillcrest. Welcome to you. Today we're going to talk about giving money. Meant that to be a little smoother transition. Um, okay, well, let's, let's go ahead and watch this video here. Jesus forgives you, now say hallelujah. <laughs> Fishing cap, section four, row F. You, sir, come up on stage and be cured of your gambling. That's incredible. Section one, pink moo-moo. She lost her job at the mill. And you, ma'am, in the nice pink dress, deceive the Lord and you will find another job. Wow. Back in the 90s, anyone seen that movie? Man, people can be schemers, can't we? Two-faced, especially when... Money's on the table. I know I've been hurt. I've been scammed. Uh, anybody else been scammed out there by people when it comes to money? Yeah, we all probably have. Um, and even by, by other Christians. It hurts. So, you know, the, the tendency might not be to just, uh, let's just not talk about it. So we don't want to confuse people. We don't want to make new people feel uncomfortable But here's the deal. This is really important to talk about. It's something that in the Bible, Jesus talked about more than heaven and hell combined. It's it's mentioned in 11 of his parables. It matters. You know, our relationship with money, it's been destroying civilizations since the beginning of people being together. It causes all kinds of destruction. As one author described us here in the U.S. today, in our upside-down culture, covetousness is now called ambition. Hoarding is called prudence. And greed is called industry. Let's look at how this plays out and some different stats. Our country almost went bankrupt recently, right? I mean, that's, that's a problem. And the threat's still looming. Speaking of bankruptcy, recently, more Americans declared bankruptcy than graduated from college. Yay! Not so good. In 90% of divorce cases, arguments about money played a prominent role. The average debt in America, $15,000. And speaking of 15,000, 15,000 Africans die every day of preventable causes. Two point six billion people, forty percent of the world's population live on less than two dollars a day. Women own less than 1% of the property in the world. The world spends 12 times more per year on militaries and defense than it does for development assistance for the poorest of the poor. Only about 4% of all charitable giving in America goes out 
internationally to causes of any kind. We need to talk about money. Why is it so hard to deal with? What happens when it, when it comes to writing that check? Are we not paid enough? Has life become too expensive? Are we more focused on keeping up with the Joneses? Is it because it doesn't seem like other people around us are giving? Or maybe it won't make that big a difference. You know, you think of uh, the person that you're going to give to today to feed him, the guy on the corner. The money you give to help house a Syrian refugee family for a day. They're still going to be needy tomorrow. Does it really make that big a difference? Well, this morning we're going to hear some famous last words from the Apostle Paul to help us think rightly about money. Let me give a little context. Paul has been traversing back and forth all over the Mediterranean from Israel, Jerusalem, through Turkey, to Greece, and back and forth through the water to islands, proclaiming this great message that Jesus is Lord. He's changed the world. And there's, there's a new government that we can submit to that's so wonderful. He knows that uh, he's headed back to Jerusalem and that trials there await. He, he's not sure if he might have to give his life, but he's, he's pretty sure at least beatings and imprisonments will face him. On his return voyage from, from Europe, he decides, I'm going to make one last stop in to see these church leaders in Ephesus where I spent three years building this Jesus community. We'll pick up in Acts 20 verse 25. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. This is where Paul is making his farewell address. We're going to pick up right in the middle here. Verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. That's a way to start. Therefore I declare to you that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This passage is chock full of great nuggets of truth, but we're just going to look at a few of them that 
tie into this theme of, of giving generously. First of all, notice that, that Paul says he's testifying that he has, he's, he's not retreated, he hasn't hesitated, he hasn't pulled back from declaring the whole will of God. Now the Bible is full of references to finances. Some 800 verses talk about money. So we know God has a will on the subject. He then goes on to warn these church leaders of the vicious wolves that threaten to infiltrate the flock and to take advantage of people, to wreak havoc, just as we saw that preacher doing in that church. It's, it is so ugly to have this happen in church, in the community of God, but, but sadly, it's, since the foundation of the church, people have been worming their way in to take advantage of others. Of the church that God died for, that he bought with his own blood. You know, before we shake our heads, though, and, and look at these church leaders and think, man, what's wrong with you? We got to know that we ourselves... We're just as likely to run into this kind of trouble of greed if we're not careful. So what's supposed to happen in Paul's mind? Well, basically this, God's gracious generosity towards us, his outlandish gift given freely to us, his audacious proposal presented to every person under heaven, it's meant to captivate us so much that it pulls us out of that, that place of bondage, of this greed, of materialism, of consumerism, of self-centeredness. It alters the way we function. It begins to change the way we spend our time, our money, the way we share our things, the way we treat people. This is the kingdom. Let's look at uh, one phrase in particular, verse 28, because this, this, this stands out here. He says this, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. God bought it with his own blood. God, Jesus, bought it with his own blood. That's a, it's a pretty foreign idea. If that were the first time you'd hear it, heard it, it, whoa, what do you mean, bought with blood? Think about that for a minute. But consider this. How much is your life worth? I mean, you know, Jim, if I wanted to, to buy you, how much, how much would it cost me? I got some cash. How much? Priceless. How about a couple of thousands? Five thousand? Hundred thousand? Million. He thinks he's worth a million dollars. Who does he think he is? <laughs> Donald Trump? <laughs> oh, let's not go there. Uh, but truly, I mean, our, our lives are priceless, right? Nobody 
can buy you. And so if, if we were all in prison, had a life sentence, so to speak, for all the things that we've done wrong, the way we've missed the mark again and again, which is pretty much our status before God, how is God going to get us released from that bondage? He already owns all the money in the world, all the money in the universe, everything in the universe, but nothing of that sort is enough to redeem us. The only thing of infinite worth is God himself. And so the most beautiful, humble way to show that God loves us, that he is willing to give everything for us, is in the shedding of his own blood to die for us. That's the message. That's the good news. That's what we're going to be celebrating later in communion. It's what we ground ourselves on here at Hillcrest Chapel. The more we understand how much God paid to free us, the more we want to use our freedom to help others to bless God and His kingdom. It's in response to God's generosity that Paul was able to give and live so freely and generously. And so he testifies here in verse 33, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Now, I wore my really cool pants today. I got them a couple years ago, half price at Macy's. If they're, you know, making you covet, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. But really, when Jesus gets a hold of you, it makes you think differently about things, right? You stop wanting my pants as much. You start to want to, instead of getting more things for yourself, instead of upgrading your devices, your iPhone, your computer, your car, your house, your clothes, your physique, it makes you instead want to help other people to buy pants for a little kid in Nicaragua whose pants are full of holes. That's what this kingdom thing does. It changes the way we prioritize our stuff. That's basically where it led Paul. He continues, You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Remember that at various times during his ministry, he, on the side, did the work of tent making. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. We must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, let's say it together. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That wasn't very, was that not on the screen or did you guys, come on. That's like one of the best things that Jesus has said. I mean, that's, some, that's a nugget right there. Can we say that again with a little more gusto? Here we go. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's so countercultural. It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
So, so Paul, you know, he says we must help the weak, not because Paul said so, not because I said so, but this is the way of Jesus. Because it's, it's blessed to give. It's the, it's the way to true happiness. You are blessed to receive, yes, but you're more blessed, he says, to give. God shines on you. He delights in it. You're like him when you give because that's who he is, the ultimate giver, the giver of his own very life. Think of how Jesus lived, how he treated people, how he spent his time. He's amazing, don't you think? I mean, don't you, don't you want to be more like him? Well, how does that look exactly in 2015? I'd like to propose a few ideas to flush this out in daily life. For starters, a great little book that if you haven't read, I'd, I'd highly recommend. It's called The Treasure Principle. This book a couple years ago, was given to me and many people in this church by a couple here who was so motivated and moved by its principles that they wanted to buy this book for anybody who was willing to read it. That's generosity getting a hold of you. One of the things he writes is this. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living but to raise my standard of giving. Not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. So where should we start? Giving 1%, 2%? Well, as long as we're searching the Bible, let's consider the word tithe. Most of us have heard that phrase. It's a, a Bible word that's thrown around. It means 10%. It's an Old Testament command given to the people of God that they would give 10% to the temple. And then throughout the year, there were various other times in the community where they were given opportunity to give as well. Well, as we move to the New Testament, the word tithe doesn't come up but once. And it's as a peripheral issue that Jesus is making a point with in Matthew 23, 23. Overall, though, the, the theme in the New Testament is just gracious generosity. It's just cheerful giving of what God is giving. In response to all that He's given, we give back. Some of you have been giving like this for years. But for the rest of us, who wrestle, who are going, oh, I'm having trouble swallowing this. Man. Let me share a little story with you about my own path of giving. I remember being up here at Western and just pouring out a flood of money into my college expenses, not making diddle, thinking to myself, man, when I'm making big bank, I'm going to be 
seriously given. I'm, I'm not going to be kind of one of these like 10% people. That's like legalism, man. No way. I'm going to be a give generously, cheerfully kind of person. Uh, just kind of a vague idea of what give generously meant. It wasn't really a high on the math focus there. <laughs> then I got my first part-time job, and I was like, whoa, 500 bucks a month. That's like, that's like $50. Man. And, then, and then after I graduated with the prestigious and highly useful degree in philosophy <laughs> from the University of Washington, I strung together three part-time jobs, and I looked at my 1500 or so a month, and I was like, wow, $150? Man, whoo, that's like, I could buy a new pair of pants. I'd take my wife on a date. I could use a new car. Whew. Boy, that's adding up quick. Okay, pop quiz here real quick. How many of you think that as me and my family began to make more money, that it became easier to give generously? Raise your hand if you think that was, you know, wow, we got one out there, okay, yeah. Um, oh man, no, no. That 10% just keeps being 10%. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me give you a, a little another nugget from Randy Alcorn in this Treasure Principle book. He writes, It seems fair to ask, God, do you really expect less of me, who has your Holy Spirit within and lives in the wealthiest society in human history than you demanded of the poorest Israelite? Nearly every study indicates that American Christians give on average between 2 and 3% of their income. The tithe is God's historical method to get us on the path of giving. In that sense, it can serve as a gateway to the joy of grace giving. It's unhealthy to view tithing as a place to stop. But it can still be a good place to start. Tithing isn't the ceiling of giving, it's the floor. It's not the finish line of giving, it's just the starting blocks. Tithes can be the training wheels to launch us into the mindset, skills, and habits of grace giving. Oh, those are some challenging words. You know what's crazy though? There are people that are part of this community. I don't know who you are, but I just, I've heard that there are people who give way beyond 10% every month. That's crazy. I mean, are these people brainwashed or something? Like, what is going on that, that you would give so generously, so continuously, month after month, year after year? You know what? I think they've found the secret. That it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. They're so moved 
by God's generosity to them in his sacrifice on the cross. That they're, they're ready to give away anything and everything he asks of them. They don't only give generously, they live generously. They believe Paul is right when he counsels a young pastor, Timothy, with these words. Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, starting with verse 6. You'll want to write this one down. But godliness with contentment is small gain, great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a what? Trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Church, do you believe that? The chasing after getting rich? You can fall into temptation, a trap, foolish and harmful desires that plunge, plunge you into ruin and destruction? That's so different than what we hear today on every commercial. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. We hear that a lot, misquoted. It's not money that's the root of all evil, but the love of money, right? Because we can't serve two masters. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money can, can take away our faith. It can mislead us down paths that are unhealthy. Friends, God is not trying to withhold. He's not trying to be stingy, trying to discipline us and make life hard. He cares for us. And He knows what's best. He knows that money will get our heart if we're not careful. And so he's inviting us into this life that is truly life. A life of great gain that doesn't have to do with how much stuff we have. That said, I know that some of us are in debt up to our ears. Some of us are, are struggling to pay the bills. Out of work. Single parents. I get it. This isn't meant to be some guilt trip today. You know, the church, we ought to even be praying for and caring for you who are struggling. However, I'd ask... Is there anything that you are clutching? Anything that, that you've been calling your own? You know that, that old saying, time is money? Perhaps God is, is inviting you to give of your time today. Perhaps he's inviting you and, and, and wanting to develop you so you, you see everything that you have as, as something you are a steward of, including your time. 
you know, downstairs we have dozens of children who are being served by people in our community who are giving of their time. And those lives matter. This weekend, my own son is out with a number of, of middle schoolers and a dozen or so adult leaders who have given of their whole weekend to pour into my son's life. And I am so thankful. There's Bible studies that need to be led for high schoolers, for college students, for adults. There's baristas that are needed, hosts, tech people, and on and on. Ways that, that we can give generously and live generously for the kingdom. Of course, the whole Whatcom County community is brimming with needs that we could serve. For those of us who are new to Hillcrest, perhaps just checking out Christianity, hey, I totally understand, would not expect that you're going to be giving to a church. But perhaps you'd ask yourself, am I really free of consumerism? Am I really free to give? Perhaps today you would follow Jesus' advice and living in this radically different way to find out if it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. There are lots of wonderful organizations out there, nonprofits, local ones, you could go out and look into, give to. And finally, some of us here today I hope that you will hear the well done from God. That he sees your giving done in secret. He sees all the ways that you minister. And it makes his heart glad. It makes him smile. Keep on keeping on. Continue in that spirit of generosity. Our final and most important application is to celebrate the greatest gift ever given, the gift of communion. Consider Paul's words that God bought this church with his own blood. Think about it for a moment. Does it get any more generous? Could God give anything more than his own son? You know, I could see him looking down at you and at me, caught in our own folly, wrecking the world, the people we've cheated, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what we have and do our self-centeredness. And he says, I'll buy that one. And that one. And that one. How much for the whole bunch? Your body 
broken, spit on, held in contempt, done. Well, how about, how about the ones that no one really cares about? How about that depressed and lonely college student? That bankrupt small business owner? The child in Sudan? The atheist dissident in China? How much for them? Your blood poured out. That will suffice. Church, we need to come back to this meal and remember God's generosity towards us today. Let it stir us. Let it draw us into that wonderful fellowship of being his. We'll invite servers to come forward at this time, take their places around the sanctuary. There will be two up front and three in the back. We do have a gluten-free section in the middle. I'd encourage us as the the music plays, as we, we take our time with this experience, to consider all that Jesus has given to us and what he is calling us to do in response. Let's pray. Let's give thanks. Our Father, it's unfathomable that you would give your own son. Jesus, that you would pour out your blood for us. Even when we were in rebellion against you. That you see each one here today and you say, I know the world thinks you're garbage, you've done a lot wrong, but you're priceless to me. And I will give my very life for you. God, may that story move us to live differently today. Not just for a day, not just as a one time, ooh, that maybe stirred me, but may it change our trajectory today. We welcome you to speak into our lives through your spirit in this time as we worship by receiving this wonderful gift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.